0: Okay,
1: I have a question for both of you guys. Um, so I've heard some really great things and accomplishments uh, from the two of you. And um, I would like if you would share uh, what publications um, you have been, you have recently appeared in um, and what awards you've recently won
2: Eric, I wanna to I hear about that. <laughs> so you you, you should go
3: first. You are the most award-winning, Katherine. <laughs>
2: done um yeah i don't think i've gotten any awards lately um but i you know i've been working i i started writing a book on local government fiscal resiliency and natural weather related disasters 2 or 3 years ago now um, with my colleagues, Sarah Beth Gale and De Zigbede. They were both students of mine at Georgia State years ago. And now Sarah Beth is a consultant and she works as director of the Southeastern Project out of the Roosevelt Institute in New York. And then Conla is a professor up at SUNY Binghamton. And so we've been working on that. And in the course of working on that, it led to several different things, we, we published something in public administration review about local government um, uh, officers and managers managing through COVID. So that was, we, we engaged in a survey with the ICMA about uh, disaster management and fiscal resiliency among uh, local government managers. And that was a nationwide survey. So we um, looked at that data Um, We did, um, we searched the web for webinars and information presented by local government officials about what they were doing and that was really informative because that was a big um, uh, platform and method that local uh, government managers use to communicate with uh, their employees. So that was that added value, and then we um, ended up uh, we did receive a grant from the icMA the I'm sorry the IBM Center for the business of Government to complete a report on the enterprise strategies that local governments use to manage through weather related disasters um, and that took our you know some of our icMA data it also benefited from us. Um, having written the PAR article and, uh, you know, and, but, you know, (laughs) alternatively our book is sort of, you know, it's been on the back burner and the editor just contacted us and said, Hey, where's the book? And we're like, Oh, Oh yeah. um, We'll, we'll finish that up. So we're busy working on that. And, and what I learned through that process is um, I mean at first it's, I have to admit to you, I didn't know much about disaster management, and now I've gotten into it, and it's just fascinating and exciting, and, you know, each of these projects leads to something else, and, you know, from them, I've done blogs and podcasts and radio interviews and stuff. I it, It's kind of overwhelming to a certain extent, but... Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun and that has been literally the last two years and we're ensconced now and trying to finish up the book and get that out by June and and then we can start to get start anew. <laughs> Eric
3: uh I you know, I have have nothing that uh exciting and riveting, but I I, I feel a common <laughs> theme and that is like the pandemic. Um and the challenges that have faced governments have really impacted our lives and how we go about studying what we study. So um, when the pandemic hit, uh, I kind of put some things aside and had a conversation with the Georgia Municipal Association and there was a real interest in some knowledge and information about what local governments were doing in the earliest days of the pandemic. So with their cooperation, we got a survey out into the field very early on. To learn more about the internal organizational response, city governments had to reply to the pandemic as as workplaces, as organizations with with personnel policies and with internal uh, management problems. But they also had to respond to the the external environment. They had to form new working relationships with um, with the health uh, districts and with healthcare providers. That not all local governments had robust you know, partnerships in at the, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, even though pandemic response was part of the state's uh, emergency uh, management framework, most local governments didn't have pandemic response as part of their local uh, emergency management plans. So there are a variety of things that, that cities around the state were doing in the earliest days of the pandemic, both to in, adjust internally as workplaces and externally as kind of important community-engaged stakeholders in managing the public response um, to the pandemic so i 've worked with that uh, survey data and have have prepared that for for publication um, but some some tangential things came out of some of those initial discussions. One thing that I was really interested in at that, in that period of time was how governments were communicating about the pandemic because we heard a lot from CDC and the federal government but a lot of the day-to-day information that had meaning for citizens was really coming from local government. It was at the local level that we were hearing about, you know, sheltering in place and mask use and different health guidelines that people should be following. And the local governments really stepped up their public communication role around the pandemic. So I did a, a small study of social media communication by city agencies. And the interesting thing in this study was you know, no one city department really had responsibility for pandemic communication. Many cities stood up emergency response centers. So San Francisco is a good example of this. Uh, San Francisco has a very good emergency response center. That response center would be activated if there was, a, you know, a fire disaster, if there was an earthquake, um, flooding, you know, those types of disasters we think of California as facing. But San Francisco stood up their EOC for the pandemic and the the emergency operations center became the hub of communication for COVID, but they weren't a, a central Uh, Clearinghouse, they were really a coordinating node. So all of the different city agencies were still doing their own communications, but the EOC was trying to make sure that the different parts of city government that needed to have that information were getting the information from the other constituent units of city government. And in that type of communication uh, and that flexible communication matters a lot in response to an ever-changing and fast-moving event. When we think about communication in the emergency context, and, and Dr. Willoughby uh, you know, m- might want to say more about this with, with her work, um, if, if we're operating in silos without interconnections, we run risk of overlooking uh, important things or having part of government pulling in an opposite direction as, as another agency. And the EOC in San Francisco is a good example of a city agency working to make sure that that the important pieces that need to be connected were getting connected. And we can see that in the social media communication of the city governments through social network analysis. So I did a little social network analysis in San Francisco and Atlanta and Washington, D.C., to really examine the different coordination strategies the cities undertook for communication And I think that that study uh, has some good practical implications for for large cities and also smaller cities that are thinking about operating in the communications and the social media landscape in particular. So uh, that project just appeared in government information quarterly uh, earlier this year. I'm also excited. We have a book on state local relations that's coming out. It's a co-edited book that I uh, did with my dissertation advisor from graduate school Um, that's coming out later this summer. And it really is oriented toward helping students understand the landscape of state-local intergovernmental relations today. Um, and, and that landscape is so important because a coordination between state and local agencies, from economic development to public health to environmental policy, is so critical. But so much of what we hear today doesn't center on the cooperation and the coordinated action. It focuses on the conflict. It focuses on state preemption of things like... mask mandates or state preemption of things like uh clean energy initiatives most recently in in uh you know the general assembly's agenda here in in georgia so our our antenna when we're you know when we're looking at the media when we're seeing information about state local relations i think we get a lot of information in about conflict and this volume was really designed to balance out that perspective to say yes there's really significant conflict going on right now in state local relations but there's also this cooperation So how do we hold those two things in tension and think about them both?
4: Super interesting. Um, And I think kind of on obviously the MPA, just entire faculty is super qualified and the MPA itself has recently received some very good ratings um, nationally to the point where I think it's caught the eye of a lot of undergrad SPIA students, especially in political science who are perhaps looking to do the double dog program or even just enter the school afterwards. Um, I know Ms. Gale is one of said double dogs. Um, this is for both of you, um, particularly Dr. Zimmering being the director of the program, but what exactly do you attribute to the success of UJ's MPA program? How exactly did you get to where you were as opposed to some of the other programs across the country?
3: Yeah, th- this program has had great strengths for uh, a, a very long time. I've only been here for a few years, so I'm not going to take credit. Um, but what well, I, I think I... you should take
2: credit <laughs> for local government management, we've moved up. So, and that's probably a lot, a, a lot attributable to Eric.
3: Thank you, Catherine. That's, that's very kind. I, I point back to the the students and some of the cool things they're doing, the great jobs they're getting. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I think, I think, you know, this is just a great university. UGA is a great place. Um, This department has some amazing faculty. And, uh, you know, I think there are at least two things that are really special, unique, distinct about this MPA. One is that in our core curriculum, we have a really good toolbox of public management skills. If you come into the program, you're really going to learn basics of, of public management. So you can go into the workplace, you can think about leading a team, about directing a project, about understanding the fundamentals of budgeting in uh, a nonprofit or a public agency. But there's also part of the core curriculum that focuses on policy, policy analysis, and thinking big picture about the the issues that that face our society. And in some uh, public affairs degree programs lean in one direction or they lean in the other direction. And I think we recognize both of those skill sets are important and our faculty reflects that. We have you know, people on the public management side, people on the public policy side. Um, and and what goes on in the classroom reflects that. So I think students like this MPA program, and they do well after leaving this MPA program because they're really developing a broad set of skills and competencies that are necessary, whether they're going to go work as a, a policy analyst in a think tank or in a federal agency, or whether they're going to go uh, you know, in the weeds in a nonprofit organization and implement a grant um, at, at the grassroots level. Um, And I mean,
2: colleagues, I would say, Eric, the colleagues get along. And I've been, you know, I was here. I got my degree here 30 plus years ago, my PhD, under Tom Law, And uh, he's still there. So we have lunch together sometimes. And I actually think my office is above the office that I defended my dissertation. I, I laugh about that a lot but um in any case you know i've seen the department over the years and i won't say exactly when but there's you know there there can be you know contentious relationships and i was at georgia state for you know over almost 3 decades and you know we had ins and outs of of problematic relationships and it just happens people are in different uh fields and disciplines, and, you know, they have a way of thinking, but I'll say our, our department is highly collegial, and we're all working kind of across each other. I mean, I'm interested in Eric's research, and, you know, we've talked about his survey and, and the ICMA survey. Um, you know, I've got interest with Some of our new faculty in client related to climate change, because I've been working with graduate students on um, we got a publication out on um, sea level rise and the strategic actions by Florida's coastal counties and how they're planning for that. Um, And so so we've got some cross ventilation there. Obviously, I work with Michelle Lofton and others that are teaching in public budgeting and finance. Um, and then I, I sort of have long standing relationships with some of our Ameriti at this point, obviously Tom Loth and Hal Rainey and, and some others, so Ed Kello. Um, so I think uh, that speaks well of a program um, that has a broad range of topics to introduce students to related to public and nonprofit management and um, they get along and they're um, supportive of each other and that doesn't always happen and um, it's certainly something that I think we don't take for granted.
3: And Emily, I don't know if you'd like to say something on this also, but um, I, I think that we have a really collegial environment among the graduate students and I think we do a lot to help our graduate students feel like they're part of a broader community of public service. And we, we bring in alumni, we bring in people who are working in the field. We really try to connect students with people who are out in the world doing exactly the type of work that students hope and see themselves doing 10 and 15 years from now. Um, we're focused on professionalism and professional growth. And, and I think students like being in that type of an environment.
1: I would agree with that. I think that getting to know like my classmates through small actionable projects is a great way to network um, because even though our college is not necessarily the biggest, it makes it feel um, sizable enough to where we're making larger networks and because we all know that not everyone is going to stay in the state of Georgia um, and that there's going to be people working in local government. There's going to be people working for nonprofits and there's people who are going to take these tools that we're learning um, and go even to the private sector or to some other job sector that isn't necessarily traditional for the degree, but yet the skill sets that we learn at this degree or in this program will build on that and help for that, those features. So I think that it's a very like diversified and um, diversified tool or degree program that um, a lot of people don't realize Uh, exists because I'm well I mean a lot of people do realize exists considering the rankings but um, a lot of people don't think that a public degree in public administration can go past the public sector or um, get you farther than just you like the local like the city hall um, because it's a lot more than that Um, so I think that especially in your two classes that I've taken so far that Um, you both push public service um, and the importance of it and where all it can reside in different sectors of the of society.
2: And I do think our faculty work hard to uh, in, in to get students to work together and with this action learning with you know with projects getting you out there to pull government documents and look at them and make assessments and continually doing this, getting in touch with, um, you know, public officials and employees and directors and agency heads, you know, in class or um, for a project is really important. You know, I think some students are surprised when I say, well, contact the finance director, ask them, you know, if this looks correct, ask them, you know, what are their big challenge? They're like, I could contact them. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what they're there for. So I think all of our faculty really work hard to um, get students to understand the usefulness of um, improving your communication and utilizing that communication in the written and verbal form. To, uh, to help advance your knowledge of all of these different practices and things going on um, in the public and nonprofit sectors.
1: I, was, I agree with that. I think that like it, coming into the program, you're stigmatized to think that like, you're not supposed
2: to reach out or talk to
1: quote unquote big wigs mm-hmm. um, and that like you have to have like super specific and personal connections with them um, but then it's like, okay, well they're another person too. And if their yeah. email's public, then there's a reason for that. Um there's yeah. no, there's really nothing stopping you from reaching out and saying, Hey, like yeah, I meet with you to talk about this or hey, I'm interested in working for you. How might I to go about that? Absolutely. So it brings it brings it all down to earth and like uh makes it more mm-hmm. like I guess it provides a sense of humility um mm-hmm. to us and to them. I think another thing um, that a lot of students don't realize is that, because I've asked, I've been asked this question a lot recently, um, is that is graduate school harder than like your undergrad years? And I said, well, that depends on the person. Like, are you a hardworking student? Are you dedicated to learning more and like working with your professors and going outside the bounds of that? But I think he, Too especially um, and other professors I've had in the program have done a really good job of making students in my position as like a double dog who is also an undergraduate student uh, and a graduate student at the same time feel more at home in the program Um, and some of it like some of me likes to think well that's just because we're in the south and like everyone's supposed to be personable and nice and like accommodating but then other times I'm like no that's not necessarily the case like y'all don't have to be nice to us um and willing to help us and work with us so I think well, that's we, something we learn,
2: we learn from our students every day and I will tell you our our double dogs our student body here is really spectacular and um and you're exactly right I mean graduate school is a bit different and it it's you know you're adults um even a double dog is an adult and you're um you're a little bit more passionate about what you're doing um, versus undergrad. Undergrad is a period of explore- exploration and um, you may ditch one major and take up another. Um, but when you make a decision to go to graduate school, it, it, you usually have some very specific things in mind. And, um, and I think that that's what we try to do is draw out, um you know what are the things that you want to do going forward um that would make you happiest and um and and you know that you can excel at that's something else that i always tell students is you know when your professors tell you you're a really good writer or you you, you do this really well take note of it because they are seeing things in you that you may not see in yourself and uh, be flexible and, um, and and learn learn from you know I, I had I was counseling some students recently about writing, and you know the students said, "Gosh, I, I just didn't know any of this before." and um, I said, "Well, that's why you're here. You're here to learn how to present information, develop inform- you know information, and then present it." in a clear and concise and logical way to be persuasive, to have an influence on policy. So um, yeah, I'm glad you see that.
1: I may have been like a shout out to the prospective students, not that they would listen to this, but I mean, (laughs) in hopes that someone like either thinking about joining the program uh, from UGA or, Stumbles across it some way somehow from outside of the university um, that that's something that our program has that another program might not, so sort of like a promotional clause
3: and we've been doing a lot of uh webinars on on different themes over the course of the year to highlight our faculty expertise in in different areas. dr willoughby uh d- did one on public budgeting uh early on uh this academic year. Uh, we're definitely trying in this online environment to to do outreach to prospective students to say there are some great career opportunities available in public service, whether you see yourself as a budget analyst or as someone working in the field in environmental policy or uh, whether you hope to you know work as a, a legislative staff person in in Washington. there are so many different pathways and the MPA is really a great utility degree to help you be successful uh, both for the first few steps on that pathway and then for the disconnected few steps that bring you to the you know the second leg of your your journey um, and and so many students from our program I think see that you know we we know we live in a world where the job we do for the next five years very well might not be the job we do for the next twenty years um, and and I think students appreciate having a degree that prepares them, you know, not just for the first job, but for the long journey.
2: Well, and I will say Georgia has um, very strong ties to, I'd say, every local government in the state of Georgia. We get our students, we have a you know, student chapter of GFOA and we, our relationship with the Carl Vinson Institute means that we have connections to literally every local government in Georgia with the opportunity for students to contribute and um, become familiar and conduct internships and, um, and possibly go to a, a local government and serve in a capacity and, and maybe become the finance director or um, the city manager. Um, we also have a strong pipeline. We have for many, many years. Uh, while I was at Georgia State, I, I fought against it a lot um, with the uh, you know, Georgia Department of Audits and particularly perf- conducting performance audits, which is an arm of the legislature, as well as with um, committees in the legislature itself. Um, and finally, you know, Arizona's budget office, we have a strong relationship with them. And um, they have several of our grads, as do other budget offices across the nation. So, you you know, and I mean, I tell students all the time, you know, go nationwide, think big. And, um, you know, our name is out there and it's understood to be a a high quality um, prep for the real world of public administration.
1: Absolutely. I like to think, well, I am twenty two. I can go literally anywhere and make an adventure of my like of my life while I still can. Um, yeah. and also apply the skills that I have anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. my one of my best friends and I jokingly say that we're gonna move to Scotland in two years. So I am looking forward to researching more about Scottish local government and nonprofits in whatever area we decide to move to. <laughs>
3: Uh, 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 you know honestly though there are um uh, opportunities in in georgia and around the country i'm teaching local government management right now and since we're hybrid I've had um, city officials from different parts of the country come in as part of our guest panel that we start class with each week. And a few weeks ago, um, you know, three different city department heads from different parts of the nation, uh, Georgia, Texas, and, and somewhere else that week, uh, all of them essentially were telling the students uh, and we're hiring right now. So if you're thinking about applying, you know, <laughs> check yeah. out our HR website and and give us a look. Uh, there, one difficult part of this pandemic has been the the job market has has shifted it's changed some jobs that had been available aren't there are some new jobs out there that you know didn't exist a year ago it's hard to navigate the job market in that disruption because it's a little new and it's a little different but there are jobs out there Mm -hmm. and uh employers are looking for skilled people solid communicators um, yeah. people with good analytical skills for those jobs. Yeah. So I'm really optimistic about how our graduates are going to fare in the years ahead.
2: And I, I'll tell you, that's exactly the one benefit I would say that we've had to Zoom classes and the online is highly intense. And I found in my classes that it is giving students real practice in. I give them information, they break out in rooms, they've got 30 minutes or whatever, and they've got to come back with something cohesive. And um, that's real practice for what you're gonna get out there in the real world. That's, I, I do think our the mm-hmm. ability of faculty to, you know, to pivot quickly to online and and, and accommodations that we've made a, a, as students have. And, and students have really stepped up to the plate with that. So. Um so that is all not for not you know we've we've done some some pretty good things together, faculty and students to get you prepared to go out there in a new world where you know lots of local governments are now saying we 're never going to have in person meet public meetings anymore we 're going to throw them on zoom because they're more equitable we can you know cut the troublemakers off we can you know everybody can come it's it's not you know, it's difficult for people to make it down to a public meeting all the time. Um, and so, you know, that's gonna take some uh, organization and, and probably new skills and new developments in local governments um, and, and what everyone's doing. So. I just have to be wary of Zoom burnout
1: because I mean, as you see right now, that's what a, a, a product of a lot of zooming. It is it because is. it that's would be people, delightful so, um, to sit
3: down in person and have coffee.
1: Yes, <laughs> um, and we have a coffee maker now, <laughs> well, as of last year. So we get to we don't get to use our fun toy anymore, unfortunately. Um, However, we did get stickers, pens, mugs, and a tablecloth so that when we are okay. back in person, we have goodies I'm to give out. i think that's going to so happen in the fall. I think we're going
2: to be back together in the fall.
4: I definitely okay. think so. I mean, the vaccine rollout has been pretty decent so far. I'm getting my second one this Wednesday, so.
1: Excellent.
4: Mm-hmm. I
1: got my first one on when, last Wednesday, so. It was nice to see people at like for family holidays um, this weekend, in order to like, with some distance from those that haven't gotten them, but those that are most at risk have gotten them. So it was nice to finally see them after a while. Yeah. Faith or uh, Mena, do y'all have any questions for our guests?
2: I
0: guess I have one really good question. Um, Can you guys talk to us a little bit about like, I guess, making the connections between like federal government, state government, and local government? And I think what I found really interesting um, through my internships is that like local government will impact people's lives a lot more than state or federal government, but a lot of people are far more focused on federal and state government. So I'm just kind of curious to know like when you guys are preparing students um in like the MPA program like what do you guys focus on teaching like is it largely just talking about like local and state government or you guys focus on teaching federal government and like do you find that generally speaking um there should be one that's like given more emphasis and more focus I guess in the news and then also just in like people's um, everyday conversations
3: Well, I think in the MPA program, we prepare students with skills that are going to be relevant across tiers in our federal system. Uh, outside the United States, we have a number of international students who, who join us every year, um, and in the nonprofit sector. Um, and indeed, some of our students go to private sector consulting as well. So we're really focused on. on broadly applicable and transferable skills that focus on management and leadership and understanding of the policy process, the development of analytical skills to contribute to organizational decision-making and understanding of public service values and an ability to work with diverse internal and external stakeholders. Uh, You know, those five core competency areas that we have matter if you're working in a small nonprofit organization or a global NGO, whether you're working in a small city of 1300 people or in, uh, you know, in in the Department of Housing and Urban Development in Washington, DC. Um, so we're always focused on those, those broadly applicable skills. The second part of that question, like, do I have a bias? Well, I'm a local government person. I love local government. Um, I, I think local government's great because local governments are, uh, addressing a lot of the day-to-day needs that, that residents and citizens see. When, when you walk out your door and um, the street and the sor- stormwater system are working and you uh, are able to go to a recycling center and you're able to, um, you know, drive past a well-planned uh, development, those are all things that the local government had a hand in. And, you know, I think students who are focusing their st- Studies in local government management like the immediacy of interaction with the public, the ability to see how those services are reaching the public on a day-to-day basis, um, but you know. All levels of government play a role in our federal system in some way, shape, or form. A lot of our students go to work in state government because you can work in a specialized state agency and make a big difference in a particular policy area. Um, Particularly some of our students who are interested in health policy, a lot of that action goes on uh, at a regional or at the state level or with the Centers for Disease Control, a federal agency or Health and Human Services. So, you know, sometimes students have that policy interest, whether it's uh, environmental policy or health policy that says, you know, I, it's not so much the day-to-day impact that I wanna see, it's it's my ability to impact this policy area and see these problems toward greater resolution. So I, I don't know that there's one right answer about places to work or, or um, you know, places to give the bulk of our attention to our federal system. We need all parts of our federal system working well. One of my biggest concerns right now, and and one of the reasons we wrote that book on state-local relations is, we don't spend enough time talking about how the parts work together well. And that's what I would like most from my students. I hope my students, um, you know, 20 years from now will contribute to the better functioning of the intergovernmental system. So federal, state, and local agencies work together more coherently.
2: Yeah, it, it, that's true, and um, I don't think our courses should concentrate necessarily on any one government. Um, you know, in my budgeting class, we move from global budgeting, countries around the world, uh, to looking at the federal U.S. federal government, then the states, then local governments, um, and that's because of this sort of you know the intergovernmental nature of getting work done, public work done. And I I meant to say Georgia is a feeder to the CDC. We've got folks who have their MBA and work there in public relations and other various offices in the CDC. And, you know, Atlanta is a great hub for federal um, agencies. The GAO has an office there, which is a great uh, feeder for Georgia to send students to be analysts with the GAO and they have an absolutely stellar internship program and um, career path. And we've got, uh, you know, my cousin got his MPA at Georgia and he's there and he went up there and he met his wife. So now they are two GAO analysts and they have their little babies and it's all a happy, happy thing. So <laughs> I have to say, I've got lots of, lots of love for the GAO. Um, yeah, and and you know I've been working with the National Academy for Public Administration on their intergovernmental systems panel, and um, written reports about uh, the workings of our intergovernmental system for disaster management. And it does need a lot of work. It's getting better, but um, we need to have be producing uh, graduates who have an understanding of. Uh, the fact that governments must work together with nonprofits, businesses, um, and their residents and citizens to get the work of the public sector done. That's the way it's gonna be. That's the way it is right now. So so I think Eric was very right to bring up the um, skill building because skill building across leadership and management, critical thinking, Uh, um, Analytical techniques and problem solving are what all of these governments need. Every last one of them. They need that. And so we need to, you know, have our graduates be ready to hit the ground running with those kinds of skills.
0: Thank you. I, I know this is going to sound so rude, but I think in my mind whenever I think of public administration, I always think about a very local or state level, but that's clearly wrong because clearly we have a lot of public administration on the federal level. So yeah, thank you guys for that.
3: And the And the global level too. Um, yeah. We have students to yeah. go to work for global non-governmental organizations, um, someone who works for the uh, World Health Organization, the EU. Um, uh, we have a number of, of students from uh, Korea, China, um, and other parts of the globe. So the reach is global.
2: Yeah, I was just on a call today, Eric, with a group from that is the Mayor and Governors Council for South Korea. And they're having a little conference. And um, so they want me to talk on state finances and budgeting and uh, you know and I was talking about the you know fact that states many states were able to pivot pretty well during COVID and and manage through and he goes that's not what we hear and I said well I've got examples and and I said (laughs) and there are about 13 states with uh, AAA credit rating and he goes oh we didn't know that I said well I'll, I'll let you know give you the intel.
1: (laughs) I feel like that's commonly misconstrued on the news. So um, if you get uh, an interview with ABC, NBC, CNN, and Fox, let them know. Broadcast it from the mountains so that they feel like they're not drowning um, Mm -hmm.
2: as
1: Yeah, as they do now, so. (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah, you know, I have to say, I think in the world we live in today, the the worst part of it is the fact that um, it's very difficult for any of us really to pay full attention to something for 30 minutes or more, which, you know, and that's the whole knowledge building requires intense concentration focused on what you're trying to learn and I think that's the one big problem we have in um as professors and that students have because it's very hard to for instance concentrate on a Zoom call on a Zoom class when you know you can you don't have to really be there and um and I think that that's if we can you know I I got a question from a student well how can I Because really, to to understand something fully that would be in a tweet from somebody, you've got to look at, you truly need to look at CNN for 10 minutes, Fox for 10 minutes, and then NPR for maybe 20 or 30 minutes on the same topic to get sort of, and then it'd be good if you could go to a think tank and get a little bit, but you know, think tanks are swayed as well, so But most people don't have the time or the inclination to do all that to get the full story. And so that's that's something that I hope our graduates learn is this idea of um, concentrating on learning and, you know, for each topic and with each class concentrating and not spreading yourself too thin, because that's the world we live in is a you know, surfing and, you know, cooking dinner and watching a class and, you know, getting on the treadmill. I don't
3: know. <laughs> I usually watch the news while I'm on the elliptical. So, yeah,
2: there but, you go. But, you, you know, you, get it all <laughs> you know,
3: I watch CBC a lot, the Canadian broadcast uh, news. It, yeah. I, I picked up that habit when I was uh, living in Canada and sometimes, you know, two or three times a week, it's great to have that other perspective on what's going on in the world.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know that I, I... To appreciate BBC for that reason.
2: Yeah.
4: Definitely. I've actually never watched a Canadian news network. So that's very neat. My, <laughs> um, we have a family friend, my family does. Um He lives in Germany and is completely German and he watches CNN all the time. Um, And is always like texting us, being like, oh my God, I can't believe what's happening in America. And we're like, why do you care? Like you're German. (laughs) Um, But he loves watching CNN and just hearing all the American politics, so. Um, But with that, does anyone else have any questions? We have, I think about 10 minutes. If not, of course, then we can just end it now.
0: And have you guys changed the way you teach your classes at all given kind of like how, Anna, you guys are talking about like over the years, people's intention spans have gone down and we kind of live in a world where people want to know things like instantaneously. I'm just wondering if that has had an impact at all on your instruction.
2: I mean, for me, absolutely. I uh, I do a lot of action learning. I really don't want to do PowerPoints anymore. I, I do concepts of the day and we have discussions more than presenting, you know, uh, that I, I have, you know, in both my classes now, management and budgeting, I have an ebook I've written and I've loved that because um, students can read a chapter and they have to answer a question um, and then we come to class and we can review the question and and from that ebook they can go to different reports and things. I can uh, link them. There are links in there. So It lets me put pictures in and stuff. So it's really videos. It's really been kind of fun. So that platform, and I mean, I've used my own texts or other texts in the past. I don't really like using those anymore because both for the cost for students, but also I can update these books immediately. Um, So that's nice. Uh, I do use ELC and I have found that I like it. Um, I'm not super great at it, um, and then the f- structure of a class now concentrates at, on, you know, an introductory discussion for about 45 minutes or so, a break, and then a class exerci- uh, exercise where it might be individual, partner, or a group, and then we come back together and we have a presentation. So, it, it's it's really changed for me eric
3: yeah I think across the public administration curriculum, we're focused on problem solving, so I think a lot of our faculty use case study discussions, small group discussions where we're looking at a substantive problem, puzzling through that problem, analyzing it, determining what the best course of action to take might be um, you know my my teaching is has changed a lot over the last 12 months because I think we all all were challenged to think about how we use technology more effectively and how we seem a little more present with technology. Um, You know, I think gone are the days where we talk on and on and on and on for long periods of time. What I've really liked to do or bring in uh, a guest expert to have a 10 minute online conversation. So I've recorded uh, a number of these 10 or 15 minute segments with experts on different topics. Um, some practitioners in the field, some scholars studying the issues, because rather than hearing me summarize X, Y, and Z, um, why, why don't I just go to this person who's an expert on the civil service, or uh, you know, talk with a city that's does, just done a, a capital improvement plan uh, for a trail project? You know, let's have the conversation. Let's bring that content to the students. So I think by bringing in video technology, um, I think we're able to present students with that more uh, immediately salient uh information Mm -hmm. but i am old-fashioned i can't give up my books i'm sorry catherine I know, I can't, there, there's something about, I had hard...
2: to, to give up my own.
3: <laughs> I know there's just something about a hard copy book that I can, no. I can write in the margins. You know, I was on an airplane once and I'm writing in the margin of the book and the person next to me just looks at me like I'm doing this heinous thing and says, you can't write in books. Oh, and I just yeah. looked at them and I kept yeah. writing. Yeah. Yeah. We can. <laughs> yes. And we
2: should. That's true. Yeah
4: when i was younger that always unnerved me to like write in a book because i don't know it felt so sacred almost i was like oh you can't defile
3: it with writing
4: um but i've totally gotten over that now right I and all of
3: time all of like k-12 is like don't write in the books right yeah. so i felt college so liberating because i'm like wait this is my book so i can highlight it and if yeah. i can highlight it i can write in it oh life just absolutely freeing yeah. it is
1: i feel like i was um, wary of it only because I would have been fined by the librarian like I I was scared of the threat so I was like no I can't write in my book so that's why I didn't and then again coming to college it's like oh I bought this book I can write in this book okay and so when I forget my book my friends would say well why didn't you just download the pdf it's free online I was like it, it doesn't have the same effect because like you can type in like like, if you go to, like, Adobe Flash Player, like, PDFs, you can put sticky notes in. It leaves your notes there, and you can highlight it, but it just doesn't
2: stick. Doesn't it's like a memory. doesn't mm-hmm. feel
1: the same. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Absolutely. Well, I just wanted to extend a big thank you to y'all, too, for coming. Um, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for attending. And in the future, I hope that by fall, we'll be having in-person coffee hours. Fingers crossed. Um, and I guarantee you the attendance will be higher and we will have actual coffee, um, which we can give you. So
2: Sounds good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great to be here.
3: Thanks yeah. to all of you for your Thank time. You. I'm glad you took some time to hang out. coming.